Amen. What a great challenge for all of us today. Amen. Is there room in your heart for him? And I know that this time of year we can get really maybe caught off guard by all the other parts of this season. We need to remember that it is, he is the reason for the season, as we talked about last week. Um, and as Gary even saying, it's about the cross, right? It's about the cross and what he's done for us. And so uh, if you have a Bible this morning, open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And this morning we're going to be finishing up our uh, Christmas series. Not, not, I'm sorry, not this morning. Next week we'll be finishing up our Christmas series. Uh, this morning uh, we're going to be touching on a very familiar story as we walk through this idea of that Christ coming changes everything. That everything changes in the coming of Christ. Uh, before we even get into the message this morning, I want to say what a huge praise it was last Sunday morning. Uh, to be able to celebrate Christ with all of you, as well as those that came to watch the production of Candy Cane Lane. Um, just to let you know, uh, we, we had uh, just shy uh, of 230 people in attendance for that here Sunday morning. And so we are so thankful for everyone that was here. Um, I encourage you to be praying for those that were here, maybe first-time visitors that don't know Christ. Um, I pray that you would continue to pray that God's gospel would reach them, that the seeds that were planted would grow. And so be praying for that. I also want to say thank you to anyone here visiting this morning. And uh, if you do not know Christ this morning, um, that is the most important decision you will ever make is what you will do with Jesus Christ, how you will spend eternity. And so I pray that you'll understand by the end of the message today, and maybe even before, that Jesus Christ came, gave his life for you, and that in following Christ and receiving Christ as your Savior, that you can have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so I know Christmas is all about receiving gifts and giving gifts. I want you to know God wants to give you a gift this morning if you don't know Christ, and it's eternal life, and you can know him this morning. Uh, one thing that we find with this time of year is that there's a lot of kind of cultural cliches, cliches that we kind of fall into or find ourselves reminiscing in. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia to this time of year. There's a lot of things that even culturally um, are kind of commonplace for us in our world today. Even in a world that seemingly is drifting away from Christ, when it gets to this time of year, there's a lot of cultural norms that kind of point us back to some things about Christmas, whether it be the music we sing, or whether it be about what we do on or around Christmas time. I mean, some of us, you know, we've heard that ad the old additive that, that people will go to church at Christmas and Easter. That those are the two times in our culture where even going to church is a normal thing. For so many, not for all of us, but for so many of us, there are times where that Christmas season, the time of celebrating Christ and all that goes into Christmas is more of a uh, nostalgia than any historical spiritual reality. That, that celebrating Christmas is more of a nostalgia to us than it is celebrating any real historical spiritual reality. What I mean is this, that when we get to Christmas and when we do Christmas and what we do at Christmas time is we go to church. We sing these songs. We do these things. We do these dinners. We kind of just fall into this routine. But the reality is that if we know Jesus or not, we do these things in our culture. It's just a normal thing we do. But I want to challenge us today to step beyond that. To step beyond just a cultural norm or to step beyond just the time of giving and exchanging of gifts. To step beyond all of these things that we see in our culture today and to realize there's something more. There's something more powerful than just those things. I also want to kind of share with you that I know that you know that you know that I know what I'm going to be preaching about this morning. It's amazing. When we get to Christmas, usually the service before and services after around that Christmas, Christmas Eve, 
it, it, there's not a shocker coming. You know, I can't really pull one out. You're going to be like, oh, I never thought he'd teach on the birth of Christ today. Uh, it really caught me off guard. And so honestly, as a, as a pastor, it's, it's a struggle sometimes to sit down every season, every year. I've been a senior pastor since 2012. I've been preaching and teaching for a, a lot of years before that. Uh, every Christmas, it's like, all right, Lord, what do we do with it this year? Like, it's the same old story. But I mean, it's, there's this cultural cliche. There's this even church cliche that I know he's going to talk about the birth of Christ. I'm not going to surprise you with anything this morning that you haven't maybe heard before in some or to some degree. And so what do we do with that? Well, I want us to step beyond the cliche, the nostalgia, and actually say, is this real? Like, did this really happen? Did, did 2,000 years ago, did God really step from the realms of glory, the Son of God, leave heaven, take on flesh, be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, life, die on a sinner's cross, be buried in a borrowed tomb, and rise again the third day, teaching and ministering to his disciples, and then 40 days later, step into heaven, ascend back into heaven to where he prays for you and I today. Did that, I mean, did that really happen? And the truth is, if it really happened, and that's true, then that should change us. That should change everything. It's more than nostalgia. It's more than just, okay, it's Christmas time. We better sing Hark the Herald and, and Joy to the World. And Christmas Eve, we better sing Silent Night or else we're going to revolt and like burn the place down. Like we better light some candles and we got to do these things because it's Christmas time. Can it be more than that though? Can it be more than a song? By the way, I love our Christmas Eve service. I love singing Silent Night. We're going to sing Silent Night, okay? Don't get scared. He's like, are we not singing Silent Night? Because I want to sing Silent Night at Christmas Eve. We're going to do all that. And it's all good. It's all good and great and fun. And I love it. But it's got to be more than just nostalgia and just tradition and just a song. If Christ really did all those things, it's so much more than a cultural cliche. It's deeper and more meaningful. And it literally changes us and our world every single day. I love what C.S. Lewis writes in the Chronicles of Narnia when Queen Lucy says this, In our world, there was someone who was born in a stable that was bigger than our whole world. Man, I love that. In our world, there was someone who was born in a stable who was bigger than our whole world. Is it real for us today? Is it real that Jesus Christ really did come 2,000 years ago? As we journey closer and closer to Christmas Day, I want us to discover that the coming of Christ, again, changes everything. Christ came as a small baby, but realized he was fully God in the flesh. He was the fullness of the Godhead in the flesh. We discovered over two weeks, or over the last two weeks, I should say, that Jesus came for first adoption. That Jesus came to, to add, to grow God's family by adopting you and I into his family. That through receiving Jesus Christ, we can be adopted as sons and daughters, and God becomes our father. Jesus becomes our savior, and we are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are adopted into the body of Christ. That we are no longer on the outside looking in. How many of you guys have seen the movie uh, The Santa Claus with Tim Allen? You guys seen that one? 
Home Alone does this kind of a scene too, the first Home Alone, really the best Home Alone. Second one is okay. After that, we don't talk about it, okay? Because I don't know what they were thinking. Three and four was just, it was just silliness. Leave it at two, it was great. Everything was fine. Although I don't know how CPS doesn't get involved with that family. I mean, wait, you did what again? You left them at home again? You let them get on the wrong plane? What are you thinking, okay? But there's two scenes in those movies that when I think about this idea of adopting being brought into the family, that those two movies come to mind. And, and they're both kind of similar scenes. If you remember in Home Alone, Kevin's walking down the street and he looks up and he sees all the family going in for the celebration. This is before he terrorizes the two criminals that are going to try to rob his house. Okay. And he's looking, he's standing looking and they're all gathering and hugging and laughing. And there's a celebration around the tree and he's looking through the window. And he's kind of watching it all alone. No family, no one to go home to. In the Santa Claus, there's a scene after that Tim Allen's character's wife kind of takes the, the custody away from him. That, that he's standing outside and he's looking and he's seeing him sitting there enjoying some time as a family and he's kind of on the outside looking in. And both of those images come to mind when I think about that Jesus Christ adopts us into his family. We're no longer standing out on the cold thinking, man, I wish I had a family like that that I could go to. I wish I had a family that I could spend time with this Christmas season. I wish I had somebody that would care for me and that would love me and that would reach out to me and think of me around this time of year. We have that in Jesus Christ. We are no longer standing out in the cold looking through the window like, now that's what a family looks like. We are part of a family. We are adopted into the body of Christ. So see, Christ came and he changes family by adopting us into his own family. But also, we discovered that Christ came for the demonstration of what true love is. What true love is. We said it last week. God always told us to love one another. That's always been a character of God, to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. But only in Jesus Christ does he say, not only do what I tell you to do, but I've showed you, I've modeled for you what that love looks like. So go and love one another, not just as I tell you to, but as I, as, as I have loved you. Go love one another. See, it's not just a commandment, it's a demonstration. So he came, he changes family through adoption. He changes love and what love is by demonstrating it for us. And this morning, I want to jump in and discover how his coming changes you and I, how his coming changes me. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. We're going to read all the way to verse 20. And just a very familiar story, but it's one that I pray would speak to you in a big way this morning. Uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Anyone hear Charlie Brown's uh, buddy saying saying this? Linus? Is it Linus that says that? Yeah. You hear that in your head there? Okay. That's okay. Sorry, it's still true. Still God's word. Okay. Verse 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go and even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. If a host of angels tells you to do something, you probably should do that thing. It says, which the Lord has made known unto us. Verse 16, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
And when they had seen it, they made note abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this morning we would understand maybe in a deeper sense the beauty, the wonder, and the majesty of all that you came and brought to us. That your coming changes everything we know about family because we weren't worthy of adoption. We weren't anything that was pleasing to you and you chose to adopt us because purely and based solely on your grace and love for us. We know that you demonstrated love for us in that you did everything to adopt us. In that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You showed us love You offer us that love today, and we can love one another this way. And because I've been adopted into your family, and because I know what love is, because you've demonstrated it for me and gave it to me, I am changed internally and externally. I am different on the inside and transformed, and I am changed on the outside. The way I think, the way I act, what motivates and drives me is different from one that has not experienced your adoption and your love. So I pray that we would know that we can be changed and changed for eternity this morning. If there's someone here this morning that knows you as their Savior, but they're living in a way that is, Lord, by their own admission, in a way that has drifted from consistency in a walk with you. They're living in a way they know Christ. They know they're saved. They know they know you. And there's no doubt there. But their life is not reflecting that fruit that they know that should be there. Their heart isn't connected to you in a deep sense. They're not driven with a love for others as you're driven for a love for others, Lord. They know there's things lacking in their Christian walk. Then I pray, Father, that as only you can, by the working of your Holy Spirit, that you would convict and encourage and show your grace to them, that they could know that today could be the first day of a brand new walk with you that you have not left them or forsaken them, that you are with them and will always be with them. And so I pray, Lord, in all these things, that you alone would be glorified and lifted up, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In this familiar story, we see how a group of shepherds were changed forever by the coming of Christ. A group of shepherds were changed forever by the coming of Christ. And this is This is huge for us, and I pray that we would understand this today. And again, not as a nostalgia or a cliche, but as a true reality that can be our life. The first thing we have to notice in this story, I want to give you three things, simple things really, that we see in this very familiar story of how these shepherds were changed by the coming of Christ. The first thing we have to note is that our humanity is confronted by the divine. Our humanity was confronted by the divine. Look at verse Nine. It says, And lo, and the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Divinity, the divine, that of God came down to humanity in the form of an angel. Now, we know there's going to be a host of angels, but in this case, there's just an angel. And the angel appears to the shepherds, and as the angel hasn't said a word. The angel hasn't done one thing other than just show up. And I get really frustrated when we see angels depicted in media. How are angels depicted in TV and movies usually? Tell me what an angel usually looks like. Go ahead. Wings, okay. Like a cartoon character, okay. Glow, okay. A halo, got to have the halo, right, okay. White robe, right. Let's be honest here, okay. Let's make it very culturally, you know, relevant to reality. Very white, blonde hair, blue eyes, right, because we know that's how all angels look, right, like Europeans, obviously. I mean, we know that's the case. Okay, 
And it's like, you know, Jesus just, you know, probably didn't have, you know, blue eyes, long brown hair, you know, pale complexion. That's probably not how a first century Jewish man looked in Israel, but I digress. I'll go back to the angel. Okay, so the angel shows up. When we see angels on TV, the way we just describe them, is there much to be afraid of them? There's almost a calming sense, right? Oh, this is very pleasing to the eye. I'm okay with this. This is warm and welcoming. How do the shepherds respond? Not just afraid, they were sore afraid. I love when the King James says sore afraid. That means they were terrified. They were really, really, really scared. Now, what I've always found interesting about this is why were they so afraid? The angel hasn't said a thing. It's not that the angel came, drew a sword, you're all going to die, and starts cutting people up. Now I'd be afraid. This is scary stuff. Nothing happens, though. The angel just shows up. Why were they so afraid? They were afraid for the same reason that you and I would have fear when divinity confronts our humanity. When divinity confronts humanity, our initial response will always be, Fear. It will never be pulling out a list of questions for the divine character that's shown up before us. Hey, listen, Angel, I'm so glad you're here. I had this question, and I'm I'm really appreciative of you coming today because I want to ask you this. Can God pick up a rock that is, or can God make a rock, rather, that is so big that he can't pick it up? That's been killing me. Could you just answer that for me? Is that, can God do that? I appreciate you coming, Angel from heaven. This is a question that's really been on my heart and mind. Listen, if you can answer that one, that would be great. But I have another one for you. Did Adam have a belly button? Because that one, that theological, you know, confusion has just driven me nuts my whole life. And if you could just clear that up for me, I'd really have a piece about that. We don't see that happening. The shepherd's not like, let me ask you this, angel. No, we see fear. We see fear. And why are we afraid when the divine appears before us? I truly believe... We are afraid because we know us. We are afraid because we know us. What do I mean by that? We know how sinful we really are. You are not unaware of your sin and the depths of your sin. And when the divine confronts your humanity, you are instantly aware of all of those shortcomings, all of those weaknesses. Not only your own, but also all of humanity's shortcomings. We know how often we merely cover up. We know how often we're projecting a different image than what's really going on on the inside. Man, you can, you can fool everybody in this room. You can fool me. You can fool your family. You can fool everyone. But only when the divine confronts us will we be forced to be honest with who we really are. And the depths of our sin and our brokenness and our weakness are exposed. We are full of fear because when we are made aware of all that, we're also equally aware of our need for judgment and how rightly we deserve to be judged. How did every demon respond when Christ confronted them or even in the presence of them? They would always say a couple things. Why are you here? Have you come to destroy us? They were instantly aware of who Christ was, instantly aware of their need and the right to be judged. We are the same way. We, when confronted with the divine, we will instantly know who the divine is. We will know the depths of our sin and we will know I deserve to be judged. The reality is, in my opinion, and different people have different opinions on this, in my opinion, the reason the shepherds were so afraid when the angel showed up is because they realized one thing. If you're coming to us, you come to destroy us. You come to judge us. 
That's the only reason you would come to us. It's been silent. God has not spoken to us. There's no prophet. There's no messengers. There's no nothing. So now all of a sudden, after all this time, an angel shows up to us, some shepherds in a field. You've come to judge us. You've come to destroy us. So they were afraid. They were terrified. However, notice the angel's proclamation in verse 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not. I love this. Fear not. Some of the first words that the public heard. We know Zacharias in the temple heard a vision from Gabriel, right? We know Mary and Joseph both received angelic visitations and messages from God. But those were private visitations. Those were not public displays of God's messenger speaking. So these shepherds are one of the first public groups to experience this type of visitation from God after a time of silence. And why was God silent? Because the people were so sinful. And so what is the, one of the first things that publicly is declared from the angel? Fear not. Fear not. Look what he says here in verse 10. For behold, I bring you, what? Good tidings, right? Good tidings of great joy, which shall be to who? All people. Think about this now. Let's put it in context. Let's say they did believe the angel was coming to destroy them because of their sin. Does it make a little more sense now why they were afraid and also why the angel's first thing is, fear not, I bring you good news? I fear, fear not. I'm not coming to condemn you. I'm not coming to pour wrath on you. I'm not coming to destroy you. I'm bringing you good news. So don't be afraid. I know you know what you deserve. This is how I would say it if I was an angel. I know you know what you deserve, and I know you know that you deserve it, and I know you know I could do it. Right? Is the angel powerful enough to destroy them? But yet he says, no, no, fear not. I've not come to bring you condemnation. I've come to bring you good news. I've come to bring you great joy, good tidings of great joy. You see, when we are confronted with the divine We react with fear, but if we'll listen to the words that are shared with us from the divine, fear is actually driven out. Fear is actually driven out. The angel tells them not to be afraid, but that he is bringing good news, not judgment and wrath, but news of salvation and grace. He also reveals that this good news will become glad tidings. Glad tidings. We sing this all the time at Christmas time, but what does it really mean? Well, this means basically that the news is so good that people will be talking about it for a long time. I like that. It's not just good news for you. It's glad tidings. What does that mean? For all people. People will talk about this for generations. People will talk about it for generation after generation that Christ came for us. I don't deserve it. I deserve wrath. But he came and says, I give you love and grace and forgiveness. Now let's be honest for a second. I don't want to go too far away from the reality that if I die in my sin, apart from Christ rejecting his love and grace, then I will experience his wrath. I will experience his judgment because that's what I've earned from my sin. But that's my choice to choose to reject or receive Christ. If we die in our sin, I cannot stand before God and say, well, this is your fault, God. This is your fault. You did this. No, I know instantly. See, here's the thing. I don't think we're going to be convinced of our need to be judged when we're before Christ. What happened in the Old Testament with Isaiah? Falls before the Lord. What does he say? I'm an unclean man. I live with unclean people. I have unclean lips. I am sinful. 
Just the presence of God drove him to his feet. Again, Isaiah wasn't like, you know, I think I've been a pretty good person, Lord. I've helped some little old ladies across the street. I've done pretty good things in my life. No, he instantly knows that I'm a wretched man. In the holiness of the divine, how can we do anything other than fall on our face? And this is why fear not is so powerful, because fear is driven out by the love of God for you, the love of Christ for you. And that love will be a word that we will share for generation after generation. The truth is people will rally to this news and will share it with great excitement. They will rally to this. They're going to be overjoyed to share it. So let me remind you again, you've experienced great joy in Christ. You've received Christ as your Savior. Then you know the good news, and you can go and let that be a glad tiding to someone else in your life. Maybe you know someone on the outside looking in, someone standing out in the cold, someone that thinks, I wish I had that. I wish I knew what it was to be loved. Maybe you're the voice that God will give to go and share with that person what really Christmas is all about, and not just the cliché. I know the Bible says it's better to give than receive, but sometimes even that, we say that, and it, okay, yeah, that's true, that's cute, that's good. We as a church want you to know that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just for Christmas, it's for every day of the year. And maybe you would go this week and say, no, I want to let you know this is the news that literally changed me and changed everything in the world. You see, not only when our humanity is, is our humanity confronted with the divine in this story, but also we see our worship is reordered in this story. Our worship is reordered in this story. You see, no matter how Christmas Day goes for you, maybe you'll get everything you ever wanted. Maybe you'll get nothing you wanted. I don't know, okay? But some point Christmas Day, or maybe in the coming days after Christmas Day, and all the newness wears off, by the way, as parents, don't you love that when you get your kid this gift that you think they're going to love this? They wanted it. You scrimped and saved for it. And you got it. And they played with it. And a couple days go by. And you're like, hey, aren't you going to play with your new toy? Nah. Nah. I got this other cool stuff over here. I'll play with that later. And then you watch it collect dust on the shelf of toys. And you just get angry. And you just want to, I'm not getting you nothing again you little brat. No, I'm just kidding. Don't say that to your kids, okay? Joy. Joy, 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 okay? But when you think about the reality, listen, we're going to get some great gifts. Maybe you've given some great gifts. And I've been blessed this Christmas season already beyond anything I would have imagined. I, I told somebody that gifted me something. I said, I wish I was there when you dropped it off. I would have tried to give it back because it was just, I don't deserve that. God is so good to us that he gifts us with love and grace. And listen, there's going to come a point where you're going to be sitting Christmas Day or a couple of days after, and you're going to kind of feel this, is that it? Like, I mean, that was nice, but that thing I thought, if I got that, and if I get that putter or that set of clubs, or if I get tickets to this, or if I get to get that, or I get that outfit, or I get that thing, or that big new toy, okay? And remember, as, as human beings, we still play with toys. They just get bigger and more expensive, right? Amen from the front row. Amen. I'd be concerned if it was the back row, but it was the front row, so it's more, you know, spiritual. Just kidding to the back row. Don't, I love you in the back row. Love the back row. Okay. But there's going to come a point where you thought this thing would give you something, would really make you feel complete. And I know this sounds silly when it's a something, but we do this. And you're going to feel this sense of like, 
That's it? Like, I thought this would fulfill me more. You see, one of the things we see in this story is that our worship is reordered. The angels reveal the true hope that we can have. And not only the hope we have, we also discover where to put our hope. You see, we must see that in the coming of Christ, our hope is not put on the shoulders of our spouse, of our kids, our careers, our relationships, our stuff. Christ steps in to humanity and invites us to put our hope in him and to put our hope on his shoulders. See, you want to know how to crush your marriage? Or destroy your marriage, rather, and crush your spouse? You want to know how to crush your spouse? Expect them to answer all that you need. Put all your hope on them to fulfill you, and you'll crush them. Expect your career to fulfill you and give you this sense of deep longing, satisfied. And if you do that for a season of time or a period of time, it will crush you because it's never going to do it. Your kids, they're going to let you down. By the way, P.S., you're going to let your kids down. So your kids can't put all their hope in you, right? Now, I don't know one parent or grandparent that goes into it saying, I hope I let my kids down. Every parent in this room says, no, I want to be all that my kids need me to be, and I want to always be there for them. That's great. It's not reality. You can't always be there for your kids. Your kid's going to be in a situation where you're not going to be physically available and be able to go and help them. And so what do we do? We teach our kids, don't put all your hope in mommy and daddy. I mean, hey, listen, tell your kids, I want to be there for you. I tell my boys, we're here. We're going to always be there as much as we can, but we're not always going to be there. God will always be there for you. The Lord Jesus Christ will always be there for you. We can't be there for you. We want to be, and we'll do our best to always be, but your hope shouldn't be in mom and dad. Your hope needs to be in Jesus Christ because only he is constant and consistent without fail. See, our hope isn't in all these things. Our hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this story reveals that to us, that our worship is reordered from worshiping each other, worshiping relationships, worshiping the stuff. And you might say, well, I would never worship my spouse. I think you want to believe that. But I learned a long time ago, where we put our priorities is what we worship. What I invest in the most is what I worship. What I give to the most is what I worship. What dominates my thinking is what I worship. What drives me to get up out of bed in the morning and to live the life I live is what I worship. And if you answer your family or yourself to those questions and that's what drives you, then that's what you're worshiping. And we can say we're not. We can say, no, I'm worshiping God. But if he isn't truly number one in our lives, then we're not really worshiping him above all things. And I'm not saying we don't invest in other things. I'm not saying we don't care for our family and provide for... I'm saying all of that is good and needed, and we should. We're called to do that. But we better make sure we put it in priority and put him number one. If we say we worship him above all things, then we've got to live that out practically by his grace. And that's what the angels reveal to us here. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Luke 2. So the angel reveals this message. What is the message? That you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. In verse 13... And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You see, as the angels helped to reorder our worship, we see that our worship is moved from stuff to the Savior. In the coming of Christ, all those things we were putting our hope in are exposed by the light of his coming as frauds. 
all the things we put our hope in other than Jesus Christ was exposed by the light of his coming as frauds. They can't do it. But Christ's light reveals to us that he can. This is why the angels declared that he is the only one worthy of glory in the highest. Only Jesus Christ is worthy of glory in the highest. And so what does that mean? That we should glory in him. He is our savior. Part of the good news is that our worship is rightly reordered to emphasize Christ and Christ alone. We have an established place where our soul can find true belonging and peace. Our humanity is confronted with the divine. Our worship is reordered and restructured to a Christ-centered worship. And finally, and really one of the more cooler points of the story, our standing is changed. Our standing is changed. You see, the good news was first made available to shepherds. And some of you have heard this before. And in our culture today, we don't really get the weight of the fact that the good news, the gospel, really, was given first to shepherds. The coming of our Savior was given first to shepherds, not to the wealthy elite, but to lowly shepherds. Now, again, in our culture, we don't get the weight of that, right? Like, we're not out shepherding, right, on the weekends, okay? It's not like, yeah, hey, I, I know Phil, he's over in Lum, and he's shepherds. You know, like, we don't, we don't hear that a lot, okay? We don't get that in our culture today. But when... In, this was happening in, in history. We have to understand what was it looking like for these shepherds to receive this good news. At the time of Christ, shepherds were considered the lower class of society. So whoever you think is the lower class, maybe there's a people group, maybe there's a economic group that you, if you're not, and you don't say it out loud, we never talk about these things, but in your mind and in your heart, you look down on these people as less than, then that's shepherds to you, okay? So if there's a, a, an ethnic group, a people group, a social class, an economic class, and you might say, well, I would never say that out. You know, I would think less of someone. But, but we're human, and we struggle with this sometimes. So I'm just making it real for us. Whoever that is for you, whatever group that is for you, that's shepherds in the story, okay? Let me give you a little example here of what, what shepherds were viewed as in this timeline. In the Mishnah, the Mishnah is, the, is Judaism's written record of the oral law. Okay, record, written record of the oral law. Okay, that's a tongue twister if I ever read one, okay? This is what the Mishnah says about shepherds. Shepherds are incompetent. That's a great opening line. Shepherds are incompetent. No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd fallen in a pit. It's kind of harsh for a religion, isn't it? I mean... Like, do you preach that? Do you teach that? How do you, how do you convey that to your people? No one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd fallen in a pit. Germanus, okay, Germanus, one of the early church fathers, was known as the father of the poor, the father of the poor. He was a bishop of Paris in the 6th century. So Germanus writes back to the time of Christ's birth, and this is what he says that the culture viewed shepherd in this light. He says this, to buy wool, milk, or a kid, a, a baby goat, okay, not a child, okay? You're like, shepherds were selling children? Like, what is going on in this culture? Okay, no. He says this, to buy wool, milk, or a kid from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption it would be stolen property. You, you can't buy these things from shepherds because you're just assumed to be a thief and you stole that. Not for any other reason than you're a shepherd. 
Like that class, you're just identified that way. Shepherds were viewed as dirty, incompetent thieves. And that's the group. Get this now. That's the group that God sovereignly decided would receive the first public proclamation of the birth of Christ. Dirty, incompetent thieves. Now, I know you're thinking, well, they weren't all that way. No, but that's how society viewed them. Do you know that shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in courts? Mostly because they believed they were just liars? The group that is a dirty, or known as dirty, incompetent thieves that can't testify in open court, that's the group that God reveals the message of Christ to. You see, our, God's economy, God's way of working things out, is reversed from our world. In our world, the wealthy and the elite are chosen first and put ahead of the average person. Let me look at it this way. If you walk into a restaurant, you and your wife or you and your children, you walk in, and you're like, hi, I'd like a table for three, please. And they're like, great, it'll be a five-minute wait. It's a real nice, fancy restaurant. Maybe you're down in Detroit having a nice dinner. And here comes Blake Griffin with a few of his friends. They come into the restaurant. Do you think he's waiting like you're waiting? Do you think they're going to tell him, I'm sorry, sir, it's five minutes? No, they're going to say, uh, excuse me, it's going to be a 20-minute wait now for you. Go ahead and get your table, sir. Because that's how our society works. Those that are wealthy, the elite, the more high class, are chosen first. They're chosen ahead of us average folks. They're not, they don't have to deal with some of the things we deal with. They're just treated differently. But in God's economy, it wasn't the palace that received the message of Christ's birth. It wasn't the kings and the royalty. It wasn't the wealthy. It wasn't even the religious elite. It was shepherds in a field. And the reason that is so powerful is because that picture is what we could summarize all of Christ's earthly ministry to be. Now, we came to offer grace and salvation to all who would come. But he even says, I don't come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now, we're all sinners. What he's saying is those of you who think you're righteous, that's fine. You can think you're righteous. The invitation is there, but you won't come. But these sinners who know they're sinners, they'll come because they know their heart and they know where they're really at. And this picture that we see in Luke 2 is a great illustration of all of Christ's earthly ministry. You see, because God looks beyond all of the surface, looks beyond all the wealth, all the stuff, and he sees our hearts. And he sees our desperate need for a Savior and offers to us the grace and forgiveness of sins. You see, in our flesh, we can connect with the shepherds, can't we? We can, get, we can kind of understand the shepherds. See, in our flesh, we are dirty with sin. We have broken God's laws, robbing him of all his due worship, and we are incompetent, unable to understand how to please the Father. In our flesh, we are dirty with sin. We have broken God's law. We have violated the law of God. We have violated the law of God, rather. And we are incompetent. We have no clue how to please the Father. I can't do enough to make him happy in my flesh. I can't please him. I don't even understand how to do it. I'm incompetent. I'm ignorant of it all. And yet Christ decided to reveal himself to you, to share with you the message of his gospel, 
And he doesn't say clean yourself up first. He doesn't say get all this stuff right. He doesn't say figure out all this. He says simply, come to me. Repent of your sins and trust in Christ and you can know him for eternity as your savior. In the same way God delivered the message of Christ to those shepherds out in the field, so he is delivering his message to us today. Well, we respond as the shepherds responded by going to the Savior, by putting our faith in Christ as our Savior. Will we respond that way today? Will we respond and be changed by the coming of Christ? Will we respond practically and individually to the gospel of Christ? Maybe we know Christ. Will we then say, I want to respond in a way that you will change me not only on the inside, but on the outside, that I will live differently Will we realize that we have been changed for all of eternity through the working of Jesus Christ? Will we respond to the message that he has revealed to us today? Or will we continue down the road of nostalgia? Just the cliche. Just the, I do this because it's expected of me. I go to church because it's expected of me. I do these things because it's what we do. Or is it something more for you? You see, in our world, there was one who was born in a stable and he is greater than our whole world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you so much that you came to us. Not when we were worthy of your coming, not when we earned it, not when we were good enough. That you came and you demonstrated love for us and to us. You offer us the act of adoption that we could be brought into the family of God. And all of that changes, changes us. You confronted our humanity. You came into humanity. You left the realms of glory and took on flesh to confront sin, to confront humanity where we were in our darkness and in our brokenness. In coming, you revealed to us that worship is really more centered on you than on the stuff. You reordered our worship. And Lord, in doing all of that, you changed our standing. The world may view us as fools for believing in Christ. The world may see us as foolish for putting our faith and trust in someone who came 2,000 years ago. And somehow his that person in first century Israel, that person's death on the cross somehow changes my standing right now today. That somehow my sins and my wrongdoing are forgiven before this God in heaven because I believed that his son, Jesus Christ, came. The world may think we're foolish. And that's fine because our standing with you has changed. We, were no, we are no longer on the outside looking in. We have been brought in. We are no longer dirty, incompetent thieves. We are sons and daughters of God. And I pray that we would live in that new standing and share the message of good new, the good news so that it becomes glad tidings for all to hear, not just for those in Goodland Township, not for those that we think are good enough, not for those who look like us, think like us, have the money like us, but for all people. Every people group needs the gospel. And so, Father, may you move, lead, God, and direct in all of this that we would be realizing, or that we would realize today, that the gift that you gave to us was not meant to stay with us, but it was meant to go out from us. And maybe we would share that message this week with someone in need. 
Father, may you be glorified in all that is said and done, we ask in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed right there where you are, we're going to stand in just a moment. But with your heads bowed and no one looking around out of respect for each other, I just want to ask if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and personal Savior. Maybe you think you've gone too far. Maybe you think your sin is too great. Maybe you think, yeah, I know God could forgive and love some, but he just could never forgive me. I want you to know that, that that's a lie that his grace is greater than you can imagine. His love is deeper. And if you will repent of your sins and trust in Christ and Christ alone, put your faith and trust in him, that he will save you, that he will redeem you and adopt you into his family. And he will keep you for all of eternity, not based on what you do for him, but what he's already done for you. And so if you're here this morning with no one looking around and you would, you would say, that's, that's you this morning. You've not received Christ. Maybe you'd like to do that this morning. You can come and pray. There are those in the front that would love to pray with you. And we can show you in God's word how you can know Christ as your Savior. But maybe there in your seats, you would just respond and say, Lord, I believe and I receive your salvation. Right there in your heart, you can just pray and repent of your sin and trust in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a believer. You know Christ. But maybe you are afraid to share the message, fearful to share the message of the good news. Maybe you'd pray and say, God, give me a courage and a boldness this week that this Christmas season, while the whole world seems to be focusing on Christmas, that we as believers would focus on sharing the message with someone at work, someone in our family, someone at a dinner, and we'd make it known what it is to know Christ. In all these things, we want you to be glorified, Lord. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we are led in a song of invitation, whatever it is that God is doing, would you come and pray? Whether you want to pray with somebody in the front, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee and say, thank you, Lord, for your coming and how it changed me.